Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Philippians chapter 4. We'll read verses 10 through 19. I'll do a short recap. And then we'll pick back up where we left off last week as we continue our series through this book. Philippians chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account." But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. How timely. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about learning contentment from verses 10 through 13. And the Philippian church was a giving church, having a mind for missions. They supported Paul financially while he was in Thessalonica, but somewhere along the line, remember that that support had dried up. With Paul now under house arrest in Rome, they once again are sending him financial support, we see in verse 10. And because of that, obviously, Paul was greatly rejoicing in the Lord to receive that. But in verse 11, he's sure to let them know how he had learned to be content no matter his situation in this life. And the key to that is that he had learned contentment. Remember from verse 12 last week that Paul had been instructed or he had been initiated into the secret of learning to live with contentment. And he had learned this contentment through the experiences which he went through in his ministry. He knew how to be abased. He knew how to abound. He knew how to live while full and while hungry. He knew how to live with excess, and he learned how to live while he was suffering need. And in that context, Paul could say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's a widely popular verse, but it's often misrepresented. It doesn't mean if you really put your mind to something, then you can do it. That's how most would use that verse. But it means no matter what your circumstances are in this life, you can live with contentment. Because Christ is all you need and you've come to learn that. And that when you are weak, He is strong. Let's pick up where we left off. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. So after speaking about learning to live with contentment, no matter his lot in life, Paul goes on to say here, but don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for the gift. 
(laughs) I'm glad you're supporting me, especially in this time of my affliction. And Paul didn't want them to think because he had learned to be content that he didn't need, that he didn't care about their gift. He didn't want them to think that he was somehow being disrespectful or that he wasn't appreciative of what they had done for them. So he commends them for their sacrificial giving. And he calls their supply to him their communication. In verse 14, it says that ye did communicate. And in verse 15, it says, No church communicated, but ye only. And this word for communicate means to share in company with, to co-participate with, or to be a partner with. So by helping to supply Paul's needs, they were partnering with Paul in the ministry. And he goes so far as to say, you're sharing in my affliction. Affliction means pressure. It's also translated as anguish, burdened, persecution, tribulation, and trouble. And Paul equates their giving as co-participating in that. I think it's a little bit of a mystery But when we support missionaries, we are actually joining them in their pressures, even though we are not actually there. I'm not sure I fully understand all that, but we share in their ministry. I I know we all understand that. We are partners with them. We are connected with them. We are participating in their work. And he goes on to commend them further in verses 15 and 16. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Remember that Paul originally had no plans to go into Macedonia. He wanted to go into Bithynia, which would have been eastward and northward as he went. But then, he, of course, he had the, the Macedonian call, as we, we say. He had the uh, vision to come over to Macedonia and help those. And the first city that he stayed in, he, he passed through two towns on the way, but the first one he stayed in was Philippi, which was the chief city there. And I think it's great how we can look back, not just on the Apostle Paul's life from Scripture, but our own life. We can look back and we can see how the Lord had been guiding us in our days. And we can see how maybe a direction we didn't want to go, God had a different plan. He put us in a different path, a different direction. He said, I want you to go this way. And it doesn't make sense at the time. But looking back, we can see the blessings of God and how He was guiding and leading the whole way. And I can see that throughout my life and my military career. I can see where... God had me in certain assignments preparing me for this. And it's just amazing how we look back. Certain assignments I I wouldn't have wanted. But God said, I want you to go there. And he sends you there and he begins preparing you in a new way. And we see that with the Apostle Paul. He had no plans to go to Macedonia. But he goes obeying God and, and the will of God for his life. He trusted God. And it's amazing now to look back because we can see He headed west, and he hooked up. Well, he didn't hook up. He started this church in Philippi, and when he left Philippi, they were the ones supporting him. 
And it's just neat to see how God works. I think oftentimes we think, oh man, this is just not going to, this isn't good. No, God has a plan. He's working. Just trust Him. Amen. Just keep following His will for your life. And so this church ended up being a great blessing to Paul. And he later wrote to the Thessalonians that he labored while he was among them because he didn't want to be chargeable to them. Something was going on in Thessalonica. And, and Paul was trying to set an example there that you got to work to eat. And he wrote to the Thessalonians, especially the second letter, he wrote in both, that there were people who were behaving themselves disorderly and they were being busybodies. <laughs> and apparently they were eating off of other people's uh, dole without ever working. And so Paul, he's down there in Thessalonica and he's trying to labor so that he can set the right example to them. He wrote this in 2 Thessalonians. I knew it was just a matter of time, man. I was doing so good, amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For, yourse- for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved our... We behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So there was a problem going on there. And when Paul goes down there, he's having to work. But he's also receiving this support from the Philippians. And so he's trying to set this good example. Look, you've got to work in order to eat. Amen. That's still good policy today. Um, I know there's half the country that maybe doesn't feel that way, but you ought, to, you ought to work in order to eat. And so the supply that was coming from Philippi to Paul's ministry, it was a great help because Paul was bivocational while he was there, which is difficult. And so he's able to help set this example. I'm just saying, isn't it amazing how you see how God works? He sends them over to Philippi establishes that church, that church supports them so that when he gets to the next town, the need that they have, which is this disorderliness, this busybodiness, this lack of working, now God sends him down there, but the church he just left is the one that's going to support him. I just love the way the Lord puts everything together. And so it could be that because Paul was doing all he could to set the right example in Thessalonica, that this is the reason why the church in Philippi was only sending to meet his necessity. That's what we read there. And they were not going above. And it could be that's all they had as well. But either way, this church was a tremendous blessing to Paul. And this financial support, you got to understand, this was a big deal, not only while he was in Thessalonica, but definitely when he was in Rome. Because of their supply, and remember he's writing this letter from Rome. And because of their supply to him, Paul, he's able to pen this epistle 
while under house arrest as opposed to being in a dungeon somewhere in a jail cell. Big difference. And it was because people rallied behind the Apostle Paul and supported him and blessed him financially. And so it says in Acts chapter 28 in verse 30, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. There's some debate on what a hired house was. Some believe he had a whole house to himself. Some think maybe this was more like a studio apartment kind of a deal. Regardless, the expense to pay rent for two whole years by provisions while unable to provide for himself would have gotten pretty expensive. Amen. It's hard enough when you're working. And though Paul had learned contentment, you can bet he'd rather stay in a hired house than in the jailhouse. It was the sacrificial giving of others to Paul which enabled him to have some of these creature comforts while he was incarcerated. So this was huge. Not just because of the improved living conditions, but if we go back and, and revisit Acts 28, I just read verse 30, um, this rented house afforded Paul great liberty in preaching while he was there and also teaching, even though he wasn't free to move about. Let me read you Acts 28. I'll read verse 30 again, but also verse 31. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. People were able to come and go as they, they pleased to visit him. And it says, no man forbade him, which means no one was hindering what he was teaching, what he was preaching. And evidently, God wanted Paul to have a season where he could just sit for a minute. Some people, you know, they just can't be still, always working. I know it's becoming more and more rare. But maybe Paul was the type that was always on the move, and God is saying, you need some time just to sit. And Paul, God gave Paul this season where he could preach and teach in a private setting as opposed to out in the open where he would have been met with a lot of hindrances, confrontations, uh, resistance. And so when I think about this, I think how good is our God that He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. Paul had been through a lot. We read all the verses last week. And man, he went through it. He puts all of our, us to shame. And now God was giving Paul a chance to minister unfettered, even though he was fettered. <laughs> Just amazing how God works. It's almost like Paul was getting a time of refreshment, even though he wasn't free. And it could be that God was just making him to lay beside some still waters. Just rest. Just a thought there. God also had another task for Paul, though, while being under house arrest as opposed to being in jail awaiting trial. Because typically when you're, when you're locked up in, in jail, you'd, have, you'd be shackled on all your, your two legs and your two arms to a soldier. And so here he's in house arrest. He only has the one soldier that's watching over him. And God had another task for him while being under house arrest because God wanted him to write what we call the prison epistles, which obviously is this letter. I've already said that. But it was also the letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians and to a man named Philemon. 
So we see how it was the generous giving of churches like Philippi, and, and I'm sure individuals as well there in Rome, which were supporting Paul that allowed him to write four letters of the Bible while under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And now think churches almost 2,000 years later are still drawing from those letters. And I'm going somewhere with this because just let that sink in. Here we are, 2022, and we're still reading these letters. We're still drawing from them. We're still learning from them. We're still, uh, we're still being blessed by the fact that this church in Philippi gave to meet the Apostle Paul's need while he was in Rome. I find this amazing. We often hear how we don't know what our impact will be years from now. And that's true. We don't know. We talked about the bus ministry last week a little bit. You don't know. You don't always know what that impact's going to be. And so I just want to encourage you, stay faithful, keep giving. We don't know how God's going to use everything one day. These Philippian believers and anyone else who may have been given to Paul during this time, they knew that Paul was going to be active in spreading the gospel wherever he was at because that's what he did. Amen. It was his custom to go to the synagogue and to begin to reason with them out of the Scriptures concerning Christ. And then once they kicked him out, he'd go to the Gentiles. Amen. And, and because they knew Paul would be busy giving the Word, they knew that in that sense, their giving was supporting the gospel going forth. It was helping to spread the gospel no matter what his circumstance was. But they could have never imagined the impact they had in supporting Paul while in Rome that we would still be learning from those epistles that he penned. Their generosity and their obedience to God to give to missions, it still has an impact today. How timely that we're discussing this right before our missions conference in April. We're going to be challenged to give more for the cause of missions. And many times we'll never know the full impact we have in the years and decades to come. But in eternity, it will all be revealed. We understand our missionaries are making an impact. But just think about this. It could just be that they're going to go on to reach a family that just raises their kids right for the Lord. And who knows if from that bunch of kids, God brings up somebody to reach a multitude of people. It may not even be in that missionary's lifetime. It may be generations later. We just need to stay faithful. And now I want you to look at verses 17 and 18. We're covering record ground here tonight. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all in abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul wasn't motivated by what he could receive, but he was motivated by what could accrue to their account, because of their generosity. Paul wasn't seeking to profit off of their giving. He says, I have all and abound, I'm full. So he wasn't seeking for more ease while in Thessalonica or anywhere else, but he understood he was being entrusted to labor on their behalf, and in so doing, 
any fruit that he had was added to their account. Now you pay me a salary. You're trusting that I'm laboring. Well, we do the same things with our missionaries. We take them on for support. We're trusting that they're out there laboring on our behalf, that they're using our support wisely and not taking advantage of us. Sadly, there are occasions when some get busted doing nothing, living a life of pleasure somewhere else. Paul understood their giving was an investment in their account. And in verse 18, he lets them know their giving was actually a sacrifice to God. I mean, he received it gladly. He used it wisely. He was a good steward of it. But he lets them know, look, you're giving to me as you actually giving to God. They sent a, a Epaphroditus to give Paul their gift, and Paul called it an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And that's, an old, that's a reference to the Old Testament sacrifices. In Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, it says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, this is after he comes out of the ark, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. And then in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 9, in reference to the burnt offerings, it says, But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And all of those sacrifices we understand were pictures and foreshadows of Christ to come. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And as God's children, we are now called to be a living sacrifice. You know the verse, Romans 12.1. But I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. And so every time we offer a sacrifice to God, and, and in context here, monetarily, when we are making that sacrifice, it is a sweet-smelling savor rising up before God's throne. Hebrews 13, 16 says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The Bible says don't forget to communicate. Don't forget to yoke up. Don't forget to partner with somebody else. Don't forget to co-participate in their ministry. Don't forget to give to those who need that help in order to minister. And so we want to partner up with fellow laborers of the gospel. And when we do, God is well pleased with us. And who better to please than God? Every time you place money in our box back there, it's an acceptable sacrifice in God's sight. Amen. Every time you sacrificially give to missions, it's a sweet-smelling savor. And knowing that, ought to help you to continually and faithfully give to the cause of missions. And just to give in general. 
And we know God is keeping record. He knows how much fruit to apply to what account. He knows your heart. He knows your sacrifice to help others reach others. And we can't all go, but we can all do our part. We can certainly all pray. So, how much is being added to your account tonight? Are you even giving to missions yet? Are you even giving at all, for that matter? And I know things are getting tight. I think before the Ukraine invasion, I read an article that said the average family is spending 500 more a month just to live. I get it. But listen, we need to stay faithful. We need to stay with it. We need to understand that missionaries are counting on us. And the temptation in the weeks ahead, and who knows for how long, is going to be to cut back somewhere. Don't cut back on what you're giving to God. Trust Him. We'll get to more of that in verse 19. And so how much is being added to your account tonight? Just think of all the fruit that was being added to the Philippians' account by supporting Paul. Not just what was added in their lifetime, but it is still being added today. It's amazing. Now, it's a joy to know that fruit is being added to your account because you give. But as I said, there's going to be many times you're you're not going to see the impact. But don't let that deter you. We try our best to support only those the Holy Ghost leads us to support. Some are seeing a harvest, some aren't. But we won't always know the impact in our lifetime. I couldn't verify this story. I've read it before. And so it came to my mind. I want to share it with you tonight. It's written by a man named Mark Ellis. I don't know anything about him, but I believe the account is noteworthy nonetheless. Now, I trimmed some of this, so if you go out there looking for it, you'll read a little bit more. But it, the, the article says this. In 1912, medical missionary Dr. William Leslie went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. After 17 years, he returned to the U.S. a discouraged man, believing he failed to make an impact for Christ, and he died nine years after his return. But in 2010, a team led by Eric Ramsey with Tom Cox World Ministries made a shocking and sensational discovery. They found a network of reproducing churches hidden in the dense jungle across the Kwailu River from Vanga, where Dr. Leslie was stationed. Based on previous research, Ramsey thought the Yanzi in this remote area might have some exposure to the name of Jesus, but no real understanding of who he is. They were unprepared for their remarkable find. When we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that. They wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. They found a church in each of the eight villages they visited scattered across 34 miles. Ramsey and his team even found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral, in quotes, in one of the villages. He learned that this church got so crowded in the 1980s with many walking miles to attend and that a church planning movement began in the surrounding villages. There is no Bible in the Yanzi language, Ramsey says. They used a French Bible, so those who taught had to be fluent in French. Apparently, Dr. Leslie crossed the Kwailu River 
once a year from Vanga and spent a month spent a month traveling through the jungle carried by servants in a sedan chair. I don't know what that is, but if you ever want to carry me in one, I'm all for it. Amen. <laughs> sedan chair. It's got four doors. I don't know what that is. That's awesome. Right. Okay. He would teach the Bible, taught the tribal children how to read and write, talked about the importance of education, and told Bible stories. Dr. Leslie started the first organized educational system in these villages, Ramsey learned. It took some digging for Ramsey to uncover Leslie's identity. The tribal people only knew him by one name, and I didn't know if that was a first or last name. They knew he was a Baptist, and he was based in that one city, and they knew the years he was there. When Ramsey returned home, he did some additional investigation and discovered Dr. Leslie was affiliated with the American Baptist Missionary Union. I guess that's back when American Baptist stood for something. The American Baptist Missionary Union was founded in 1814 by Adoniram Judson, who led a pioneering work in Burma. Born in on, you know what, I'm not going to read all his life history here, but it talks about how he was a pharmacist, got called uh, to work in the Congo, and then there in 1912, it says, they cleared enough of the leopard-infested jungle along the Kwailu River at Vanga for a new mission station perched on a small plateau. Some of the villages surrounding Vanga were still participating cannibal, practicing cannibalism at the time. They spent 17 years at Vanga, but their service ended on a rocky note. Dr. Leslie had a relational falling out with some of the tribal leaders and was asked not to come back. They reconciled later. There, there were apologies and forgiveness, but it didn't end like he had hoped. His goal was to spread Christianity. He felt like he was there for 17 years and never really made a big impact, but the legacy he left is huge, end quote. Here's a man, he thought he was a failure, 17 years in the jungles, and he died thinking he was a failure for the cause of Christ. But all those churches got established because this one man was faithful. We don't know the impact. I mean, that was almost 100 years later that they discovered all this, that he was, that they attributed him to starting all that. And there's still fruit abounding to his account now that he never thought was there or thought was possible. And certainly to the accounts of those who made it possible for him to go. We never know what the future impact's going to be. But we know this, God is always at work, and His Word will not return void. So we give, and we give sacrificially. And I know what you're going through when you write that check every month, especially now. Stay faithful. Lay up treasures in heaven. Add fruit to your account. And while we don't have time to get into verse 19, as we give, even in tough economic times, we have to trust verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's stay faithful, amen? Stay faithful. We have missionaries on the field that are depending on us, and they're feeling the crunch too. So let's stay faithful to give. Let's pray.